Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigrant Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. My guest in this episode of the show is award-winning entrepreneur, angel investor, host of the UK's number one business podcast, speaker, and now the brains, literally, behind a new supplement aimed at supporting brain health and wellness. It's Dan Murray Serta. We were introduced, in fact, by our mutual friend Genevieve, who emailed me and said, I think you'd really like Dan. He's an extraordinary person, and I know you like to have extraordinary people on your show. So I started to do my research and one of the things I learned about Dan was that he cured himself of insomnia. Tick, that's definitely something I would want to chat to him about and share with you, my most excellent listeners. Also, after a little bit of investigation, I discovered that Dan was named Young Entrepreneur of the Year in 2015. Another tick, there's no way there's not an interesting story there. What else did I find? Well, Dan hosts the the podcast Secret Leaders, which tops the UK business podcast charts. Tick. His access to and interest in entrepreneurs and business owners means he's a mine of information, really good information about business and the people behind business. Also, further investigation showed me that Dan has had failures, which he's very open about on his business journey. And if you're a regular listener, you'll know that one of my favorite quotes is never take business advice from someone who hasn't failed at least once. So that was another sturdy tick. 
As you can imagine, my list of questions started to grow. And if you're looking at the screen of whatever device you're listening to this on and thinking, Ooh, this is going to be a mega episode, all I'll say is that it really could have been. But in what I hope is Dan's first appearance on the show, we did cover a lot of ground, including the highs and lows of his business life, where he made mistakes, understanding what he was good at, understanding where he had weaknesses and therefore needed to collaborate, what happens when your work life becomes your identity, and furthermore, how that impacts on you if you don't feel that what you do for your work is representative of who you really are. We discuss imposter phenomenon, his definition of entrepreneur and entrepreneurship, and also having a growth mindset. Plus, we really do dig into heights, that smart supplement I mentioned at the top of the show that he created for brain health, and how in order to do that, he really did have to disregard everything he knew about supplements and go back to the drawing board. This is without doubt a very packed episode. Dan was incredibly generous with his time and his insights. So for ease, I've added the links to everything we've discussed in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But without any further ado, it's Dan Murray Serta, entrepreneur and fellow podcaster on The Emma Gunn Show. Dan Murray Serta, welcome to The Emma Gunn Show. Thank you very much for having me. This Emma is very Emma Gunn's show. <laughs> Um, this is brilliant because I love chatting to entrepreneurs and I love chatting to fellow podcasters and you are both of those things. That is true. And you forgot to say you love talking to bearded men with glasses. I would have been a holy trinity. <laughs> there are so many uh, inappropriate things that just came into my head now and I'm going to quickly <laughs> gloss over them. Move over um, then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Quick move on. Um and you and I were introduced by a mutual friend, and it just seemed like the perfect introduction because you um, are passionate about and are very open about things that we have talked very freely on this podcast about previously, things like mental health, anxiety, making good, sensible choices for living a good life, in brackets, don't believe the celebrity endorsement that you see on social media, and so there are so many things that I wanted to talk to you about, but it seems like the best place to start is actually where we are right now, which is a very exciting development for you with Heights. So Heights is a brain health and wellness company that technically speaking launched into the market in January 2020. Uh, but, you know, we launched into the market with a bunch of very high profile customers and some of the smartest minds in the world that had already been using and taking our, our product for the last, you know, four to six months, depending on who, who they were. Um, you know, to that end, Heights is actually something that we came up with in 2018 and have been developing in the background for two years before we even took it to market, which is, you know, quite a lot of time, especially in the startup world. But when you're launching any product in the brain or mental wellness market, you definitely want to make sure that you have done your research, you're creating something that's valuable and actually useful to people that's well-researched scientifically. And to be honest, you want to do it with some of the best credible research and best credible advisors on board as well. So, you know, we spent a lot of time making sure that we got people like Dr. Tara Swart, who's our chief science officer, or Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who I know is a friend of the show, you know, really great people that wouldn't usually endorse uh, any supplement, let alone the concept of, um, you know, of, of even putting their brand near that conversation just in mm -hmm. case. Um, this was something we worked really hard on because we ultimately feel it's, it, you know, selling something in the space, no matter what it is, is a game of credibility. 
And we're very honest about the fact, me and my business partner, Joel, we're not neuroscientists or nutritionists. And we always make a point to point that out to people. And mm-hmm. actually, I think that's the reason why we've created something in the market that's unique and different and people are resonating really well with because we have a very outsider's perspective. You know, if we came, well, actually the process we had in, in formulating the product was we brought on a dietitian, a nutritionist and a neuroscientist with a PhD in neuropharmacology, which is Tara, um, all to argue about what should go into the product. And that was the first time we really learned that a dietitian has their strong view, a nutritionist has their strong view, and a neuroscientist has their strong view, and they're not the same. But mm-hmm. there are overlapping arguments. And our process as the entrepreneurs was to put them in a room and explain to them, you know, there's one regulating factor, which is physics, you can't have the world's largest pill. So we all have to make compromises There's a very famous Steve Jobs quote, which is, you know, innovation is all about what you don't choose to put in, what right. features you don't have. And so that is the same case with with our product. But in the end, you know, it's a really interesting process because you wouldn't usually do that. There's lots of nutritionists that develop and launch products. There's lots of dietitians. And the thing is, they all have a very specific point of view. And this mm-hmm. is more about um, understanding our customer and the outcome you're trying to deliver to them, which is basically an overall uplift in your uh, in your brain's health and cognitive potential, according to science, over a long term, so not a short term mm-hmm. fix. And um, and that created a really great atmosphere of them deciding what goes in it. But you know, all of these t- all of these things take a lot of time. Yes. So there's so much to unpick there. But I guess one of the first things I'm going to ask is why why this supplement why supplements in the first place i've been writing about health and beauty for nearly 20 years and so i've had every press release for a long time about this kind these kinds of things and as you say normally it's from one perspective and you've pooled a lot of resources in order to create yours but why this particular field why wellness and would you call it wellness yeah definitely um and you know you don't look a day over 25 so i'll have what you're having they're working i'm Uh, on day three of fights (laughs) exactly that's what it is right yeah (laughs) um i think it's a really great question why supplements so i was not a supplement taker at all um and actually neither really was my business partner and i think like from a supplement point of view we might have gone through the same experience a lot of people which is suddenly you read something it triggers your desire to take supplements you go into a high street store you buy a bunch telling yourself you're going to take them and you come back with all these bottles they take up loads of space there's loads of capsules to take and you end up getting out of the habit after two or three days of getting out of the habit so you might take them for a week but the day you forget it's easier the next day to forget again Mm -hmm. and once you're out of the habit you're out of the habit um and we all do that and that's really understandable now my experience was uh, unusual on the basis of I actually got insomnia um, about two and a half years ago. So in 2018, before before Height started, um, it came out of nowhere. And I think it's worth saying that I've had you know mental health problems in the past, like you know anxiety from a psychotic boss. You know I was depressed after my father passed away, like normal things. Um, but for insomnia, when it happened, I was really happy, fulfilled. Um, getting married in the summer. My mum had just recovered from cancer. You know, I had a lovely flat, two amazing cats, uh, everything anyone would ever want. They're even popular on Instagram. So, you know, really fulfilled. And suddenly I got insomnia. Um, My symptoms were quite specific. So I'd go to sleep, you know, roughly about midnight, one o'clock, but I would wake up by 2, 2 2.30 a.m. every single night. And it happened for five months straight. 
So it was really like chronic insomnia, which obviously mm. leads to really bad anxiety as well, particularly in the evenings when you know you're going to have to try and get sleep and stay asleep. Um, so it becomes a cycle. Um, you know, I went and asked all the experts. I went to a doctor. They gave me sleeping pills, um, which I didn't take. I've still got them um, because I don't think that's a fix. It's a short-term fix. It wasn't going to help me solve anything. Um, I tried meditation. I tried therapy. I tried sleep therapy. I tried like cutting out alcohol. I tried loads of alcohol. You <laughs> name it. If it was a thing I thought I could do. I like I the hypothesis. <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, I'm a very open-minded guy. So you tell me something <laughs> might work and I'll do it. Um, I went to uh, dinner with a friend and she basically said to me, uh, you should try out this book called Optimum Nutrition for the Mind. It's by a guy called Patrick, Patrick Holford. I'd never heard of him or it or brain nutrition or anything like that. And I was like, but very open-minded to trying it. Anyway, read it, found it super interesting because I'm like, rel like relatively scientific and he's a nutritionist. Um, nothing wrong with nutritionists, but it wasn't my world or field. I was mm -hmm. like, I kind of want a second opinion before I start doing a bunch of things. So I went to see a dietitian. Um, her information basically matched what I read in the book, in fairness, which was, you know, the book does a great job of explaining your brain is an organ. Um, it has physiological needs and, you know, those can be uh, essentially broken down into oxygen, hydration, nutrition and sleep. And, you know, one of them might get out of whack of the other if one of them's not getting it. Whereas when you think about your mind, your mind is extremely complex. There's a million and one things that will cause a mental health problem. Um, you know, from your mind, lack of social connection, you know, like anger towards something like everything. But mm -hmm. on a basic level, what the book did a great job of framing for me is you've probably only ever thought about your brain in terms of your mind, but not as your brain, which has physiological needs. And your brain is 60% fat. 90% of that fat is a compound called DHA, uh, which comes from omega-3. And, uh, you know, it's the number one building block of your brain. I was like, okay, that's, that sort of makes sense. And I went to a dietitian and she recommended DHA omega-3 supplements, B vitamin uh, complex, kind of like Barocca really, and, um, but just a higher quality one. And mm. then blueberry extract, which is an antioxidant, and was explained to me that the DHA is just to feed my brain. It's the number one building block. So, you know, I might be deficient. Number two, B vitamin complex, because it will regulate my energy. That's where our brains and body get our energy sources from and I was having a spike at 2 a.m with my insomnia waking me up and then three was the antioxidants which will clean out your glymphatic system when you sleep which didn't mean anything to me at the time but I was like sure I'll believe that so within two weeks I was sleeping like a baby um wait, after, wait. After, yeah and after five and a half months you totally believe that's your new reality and you very yeah. um skeptical that anything will work but especially something as basic as supplements right as in it seems very unlikely. And my view on supplements is I thought I'd read all the stuff that supplements don't work, save your money, aren't they crap? Like it seems like my friends who were more into woo-woo and really into fitness, like particularly believe in supplements. And there it was, it actually worked for me. And I guess the final thing I'd say on this is I then learned whilst doing my research in them, you know, the difference in normal supplements I would get in places like, to be honest, Holland and Barrett or Boots, generally really low quality and crap and i didn't understand why or how that was and it turns out and this is a very good example i'll give because i was immediately told i wasted my money by my dietitian was so seven c's which is the number one omega-3 oil supplement in the world um the there's a difference in the supplement world between the scientific efficable dose and the minimum amount you're allowed to put in as a company and make a claim so and oh, that, yeah. that, that difference is enormous
So Seven Seas being the example that I learned immediately from, because that's what I went out to buy, show my dietitian, and she was like, no, that's not going to work. Mm. Because Seven Seas um, put in 45 milligrams of DHA omega-3 in their number one selling supplement. But the minimum efficable dose, according to science, is 250. So you'd need to take Seven Seas for six days, pretty much a week, to get one day's worth of what science says you need for your brain. So it was a ridiculous revelation to me. Vitabiotics is completely the same across the whole entire range. Um, and basically, it's one of these really weird discrepancies. And it sort of helped me understand as an entrepreneur, A, what an amazing space, because you can, I'd previously been in tech, it's very hard to innovate in tech. But I was like, God, if all you've got to do to innovate in a supplement space is not rip consumers off, then maybe it's not so hard. <laughs> and secondly, really helped me understand well, this stuff's worked for me instantly within two weeks because I was taking the right dosage, which is not something if I hadn't have had an expert mm -hmm. explain to me the brands to pick, um, why if I'd have done it with another brand, it wouldn't have worked because I would have been getting very little impact and difference. It just seems like a crazy revelation to me. So that was kind of mm -hmm. the starting point. Well, also, and I can hear in the way that you're speaking about it and you're talking about the minimal ethical dose. Um, I, I've heard you say before that you're very honest and you have a very strong feeling about what is right and what is wrong, particularly in business. And I can hear in the way that you're speaking that that really grinds your gears. That I don't you... know. I, I I don't really know. Again, as an entrepreneur, like you, you look for market opportunities and you look mm -hmm. for spaces to disrupt, so they say, or to do something new and interesting. Um, I don't think I've seen another industry where there's such a discrepancy between a legal discrepancy between science and marketing. Um, mm. It's a joke. It's a complete ripoff. You know, honestly, I, you know, I'm happy. I'm just being completely honest, like almost every single product in Boots or Holland and Barra is a ripoff compared to Whole Foods or Planet Organic, where the quality is super, uh, well, it's basically what, what you believe you're getting. Right. And that's the major difference. And the supplement industry is really interesting as well, because uh, brands aren't really allowed to communicate um, uh, claims themselves. So the claims come from the ingredients randomly. So you know that vitamin C is good for immunity because of the vitamin C lobby. Um, mm. You know, but you won't have a vitamin C brand telling you all of the impact that you'll get from their vitamin C. Those two things are separated, which is weird. That's why sometimes when people come to Heights, they're like, you should just talk about the fact, like all the amazing things it does for your brain. I'm like, you, you can't. You've just got to go on the claims of the ingredients themselves, which come from science. And then mm -hmm. it's the brand's choice to decide whether to put the right amount in or not. It's just like a bizarre, it's a bizarre loophole that's exploited by people for maximum profits, of course. So the best example I can give is um, when we went to buy Vitabiotics in uh, Boots. Is it Boots? Yeah. Anyway, just to give you like a, a just literally pricing example, they were £10 for I think Neurozan, which is the brain health one. And so 10 pounds, we learned that VAT is 17%. Boots take about 50 to 60%. So if you work that out, you realize that of the 10 pound, you as a customer are buying about 2 pound 80 worth of, of product. So 2 pound 80 worth of product divided by 30 days. And suddenly you realize mm. that you know, what you're taking can't be good quality because it has it's cost absolutely nothing. So it's really interesting if you work down from mm. price and it reminds me of the first time someone ever told me about not buying wine for cheaper than 10 quid you know because it's like right. all tax and you're like oh god so i just bought a penny's worth of wine oh is that right <laughs> yeah apparently so oh crivens i know 
Um, so, I mean, this is the thing. So, you know, I never, I never wanted to or expected to become someone quite so interested in uh, this space. But at the same time, seems like a really bizarre thing that this is completely accepted. Well, okay. At what point in the journey of discovery, at what point since the beginning of the brand, did you discover that? When when were the uh, dietitian, nutritionist and scientist in the room together? And when did you discover that? And then when did you realize, oh, we might in our brain, our blue sky thinking might be to create the most expensive thing that we could possibly, you know, something that would be so outpriced because actually if we want it to be wholly effective and have the right dose, surely it's going to be um restrictive uh so that's a great question and there's a few different things to unpack i guess when did we get the so the dietitian nutritionist and um and neuroscientist didn't come in till i'd say six months after like the first experience was obviously going in and buying the supplements and being told by my dietitian that i'd wasted my money and to try again and to go to planet organic um (laughs) so i did and then actually the process was started writing a newsletter on brain health because I became really interested in the topic. And I'm like, I am quite nerdy. And I thought, uh, basically, the experience of being so uh, confused by marketing, ultimately, Mm -hmm. left me irritated. And I thought, well, science is science, right? So So the definition of science is answering a question. And so everything is very specific. And so I was like, I'm going to write a newsletter on brain health, mental wellness, and all that stuff where every week I'll read a science paper. So from neuroscience journals or psychology journals or whatever, and I'll get a recipe of brain food. So a recipe created by a nutritionist because I'm a useless cook. Um, But, you know, I will just source them because I know what stuff is good, you know, like, you know, fish or if you're vegan. Anyway, the point being, I had a good idea and sense. And I'll just put that into a three-minute newsletter every Sunday that I'll just write each week with my business partner. And we'll just start doing that as a process. Because there's a saying in neuroscience that if you read something, you learn it once. And if you share it, you learn it twice. So I was like, I am not a neuroscientist or a nutritionist, but I'm obsessed with this space now because I feel like there's so much room for credibility. And I feel like I could be a very good communicator of those things. So, Do you feel like you hacked your own brain? And then wanted to share that with everyone else. Uh, so all I can say to anyone, for anyone that's ever suffered from a mental health problem that they haven't been able to fix, um, when you do, you kind of want to tell everyone what your yeah. way was. And the reality is there's many different ways. But um, this comes from a deep-rooted belief that uh, I believe if you went into any room in the entire world right now, whether it's Kyoto or El Salvador or you know London, Nigeria, it just doesn't matter where, and you ask them to list out the the ways in which you could cure a mental health problem. And like that's to get you to the baseline. So from the baseline, ways in which you can improve your mental performance. Everyone will say the same list of things from meditation and social connection and therapy and a sense of purpose and all of the things that we know. And very few people would say nutrition. Um, mm-hmm. The reality is, again, like taking my entrepreneurial hat on, imagine how exciting it is to, to know that Science says nutrition is one of those things, but it's not marketed and communicated in a way that people are aware of. Mm. So it reminds me a lot of about 10 years ago, if you were walking around with a protein shake, you were considered basically a gym junkie, right? (laughs) And now it's totally commonplace and normal. Um, Mm. That's because even 10 years ago, and I I really do mean this because I researched the data before, like actually making world claims, only 10 years ago, 
if you went around saying that nutrition was one of the greatest predictors of your health span and lifespan, people would tell you that you're woo-woo or a hippie. Because even 10 years ago, doctors weren't interested in nutrition. Nutritionists were considered complete jokes. And no one really had a deep appreciation for the impact of the fuel we put in our body and the outcome we get in our lives. Now, now, 10 years later, that is so commonplace. And very fortunately, if you live in the 1%, which is anyone living in a city like London, frankly, um, but you know, obviously, it's permeating out, you're very familiar with the fact that nutrition is a key component to your health span and lifespan and your physical body. So to me, it's commonplace and understandable to say, well, if the science says the same is true in your mental health, then in 10 years, everyone will know that that is true. So my job as a science communicator and as a brand is to be part of the conversation in raising awareness about these things for people where, you know, and I'm just very lucky that I had, you know, one of the few people that's had a mental health problem where you get to turn it into a business opportunity because you learn, uh, A, to get past your own skepticism, because I was, I wasn't a supplement taker and I thought that they were kind of cheap and rubbish. Um, and B, to understand that your personal experience is actually something that can be replicated through scientific outcomes. And there's so many studies about, um, you know, nutrition being so commonplace in, like I said, not just getting from a mental health disorder back up to your baseline, but from your baseline and achieving at peak performance. Um, you know, to me, that's a good fortune because I wouldn't have found out another way, but then be a really exciting truism. So I do very much feel like I'm on a mission to share that insight. Um, and of course, there's so many different ways that you can overcome a mental health problem. And we very specifically call it brain health, not mental health, actually, because um, we're predominantly focused on the physiological nature. Mm -hmm. So like I just kind of, kind of went back to earlier, you know, the nutrition and hydration being massively overlooked areas, but so much science from it. So then mm -hmm. to come back to, to the point, we started writing this newsletter and that's now been 76 weeks. So haven't missed a week yet. Uh, and we've got 4,000 people that read it every week. And obviously I wish it was 8,000 or 20,000, but it's all been word of mouth and organic, which is really nice. And um, it's been an amazing process to understand so much more about just the science. Because it's all it's all we write about. It's only a science paper rewritten in plain English with, you know, GIFs and lols and other millennial speak because I can't really help who I am. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't. Exactly. And actually, when I was looking at your story and looking at the timeline, it feels as though Heights was, if you look at the sort of moment, maybe that idea manifested, it was like an old timey movie where the railway track, where they pulled the lever and the train was supposed to go one way and it went the other way because your background is not in the health and wellness space. And it is certainly not, I guess, 10 years ago, you said where you uh, would look forward. You maybe, well, probably almost definitely wouldn't have thought this is where you would be because you were in, well, you were a young entrepreneur. Were you young entrepreneur of the year? Yeah, with my last company, which was um, basically e-commerce shopping mobile technology. Um, so we created an app called Grabble and it became the number one shopping app in the UK, um, cause we were only focused on mobile and it got nicknamed the Tinder of fashion and yeah, I won young entrepreneur of the year, 2014. I'm not how allowed to you? call myself that anymore though. Cause you know, I'm over 30 now. Uh, how old was I? I was 26. Okay. So 26 and you had, uh, and I know that, um, 
and we will come on to identity where this is relevant, but like in the fashion space, you were a big deal because you were driving revenue and selling yeah. selling product basically. Yeah. And you were also, so at 26, what I'm really interested in when I speak to business owners, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given many years ago and then um, didn't really apply to myself when it happened to me was never take business advice from someone who hasn't failed. Mm, love that. Yeah, True. and I, when I then failed, I thought, oh, but I took the advice from the person who did so I wouldn't have to <laughs> and didn't realize actually it was part of my own journey. Now, it's not necessarily that you failed, but you definitely had a journey with those businesses where you learn a lot of lessons. Absolutely. And look, we did fail at the end of the day. Like we, um, we fell into a very classic startup trap of um, growing way too fast, um, knowing, knowing better what we should have done. So we picked the wrong strategy. We chose to listen to our investors and go for growth when we should have absolutely slowed down, sorted out customer service and our product. Um, and the pivotal moment with Grabble was we got to about 100,000 monthly active shoppers on our mobile app. Um, at that point, we were um, like so stretched, like we'd use loads of technology and hacks and workarounds. And that was kind of what made it really exciting and enabled us to grow. And what we should have done is completely stop growing at that point and fixed out, fixed so many different things with our supply chain, with our different shipping partners, et cetera, et cetera. But we were totally um, uh, inexperienced and didn't do those things. Um, instead, we just set the next milestone for a million. Um, when we got to a million, we totally imploded because our business model was not um, didn't have anywhere near enough margin to account for lots of problems at that scale. So in the end, we had so many, like one of our biggest challenges as a company was that um, most people would, not most, but a lot of people would claim that their packages never arrived. Um, we were on the hook for those, but they were actually being sent out by a whole array of different brand partners. And it wasn't always true, but there isn't much you can really do about that. Mm -hmm. And so at 100,000 customers, you know, and 1% complaining or saying that that's happening on a regular basis, that costs you X, but at a million, mm -hmm. it costs you Y. And mm -hmm. in the end, we completely ended up imploding as a company. Um, there's so many interesting lessons from there and it completely serves us right because the writing was on the wall, which is there are clear things that were obvious to us as a problem at a hundred thousand that we should have fixed before we got to a million. Um, but we were growing at 30,000 new users a week. Um, we were just, you know, we had this like competitive edge with someone like ASOS, for example, we got called into the CEO and founder's office and told that they were going to go head to head with us and all this stuff. And, it makes you scared and excited and all this stuff and just too young to really know what to make a good decision over and definitely chose some of the wrong ones. And I also think as a leader, I definitely picked the wrong strategy, which I've learned to develop since, which is I wanted to be someone inspiring who had all the answers. So I would just do so much reading and personal development and all this stuff. And ultimately, what I've learned is that's completely the wrong leadership style. The right leadership style is you hire brilliant people because they're brilliant people. And when they ask you a question, you ask it back to them. <laughs> <laughs>
you know, it's not it's not yeah. for me to know their answer, like the answers to these things. Like there's no way that I know more about marketing or product or strategy or any of these things than people that are specializing in each of those things that you're bringing on board to do. And yet we were growing so fast that no one really knew the answers. And they thought that you know, there's this assumption that the founder is actually far more intelligent than they are, whereas that's rarely true. Like usually the founder is just the person with a bigger risk appetite. Um, it actually <laughs> yeah. has nothing to do with intelligence whatsoever. Um, it quite often it has loads to do with hubris, in fact, right? Like the arrogance to think that you have a fighting chance to make a business succeed in that way. Um, I definitely think there was an, like, an aspect of, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call it hubris, but certainly, um, you know, uh, definitely ambition. Mm -hmm. um and definitely definitely comfortable risk taking um right. but, you know i'm very lucky like i you know i, I evaluated things and I, I always say this to people when they're asking about entrepreneurial advice like at the end of the day my mum was always like you can move back in with me and i did for a bit because i wasn't getting paid a salary um and you know the thing is if you're going to go for an entrepreneurial journey like that you have to be willing to not pay yourself a salary for a long period of time when things go tough yours is the first salary to go again um, you know, you need, you need, a, uh, if you can basically have a safety blanket, so to speak, then it makes a huge difference. And so like knowing that my mum was there and that I wouldn't be homeless mm -hmm. is essentially the opportunity of privilege, right? Because, yeah. um, that is very much one of the reasons why a lot of entrepreneurs are middle-class because you've got the, you've got the fortunate position in life to be able to take a risk. Yeah. I, I also wanted to um, unpick a little bit about identity there, because at 26, being Young Entrepreneur of the Year, probably doing quite well financially, and as well, I think in that position, you said that you grew very quickly, you had investors, you were seeing yourself, I imagine, through other people's eyes, and there was a lot of glory perhaps coming your way. And you and I have had very similar insomnia issues, <laughs> and uh, I also had a job where... Um, it, it was my identity. My job title was absolutely 100% my identity. And so when I no longer had that job, I had to sort of figure out what that meant. Did you have that same experience going from having this identity as being the boss, this wonderkind, to then having it, as you say, fail and having to figure it all out again, not just the business side of things, but who you were? So I think it's really, uh, so the short answer is yes. And I think talking about identity is such an important thing and so helpful for people because I suffer from it really badly. And by the way, entrepreneurs, like, you know, I'm friends with so many entrepreneurs and this is one of our biggest mental health problems is identity always. Um, is that um, imposter? Yeah, exactly. Oh, imposter yeah. syndrome. Um, and that's the reason, by the way, why I started the newsletter. I started the newsletter on heights because I know from experience how badly I suffer from imposter syndrome. Like it really can stop me from working on anything productive for an entire day because I'm like, I don't yeah. deserve to be here. Everyone around me is so much smarter. I, I've had those like completely stunted days where I couldn't even go into the office and see my team because I felt like such a fraud. Um, and that was in, you know, an industry like fashion where... Um, you know, the supply and demand of people wanting jobs in that industry is off the chain. So like, you know, you feel even worse about it because mm -hmm. you feel like you've basically stolen someone's ideal dream job. And um, I was conscious that it really wasn't mine. Um, and this is another thing to unpack in the in the conversation is I I was being called a fashion entrepreneur all the time. 
I really didn't want to be a fashion entrepreneur. I don't consider myself a fashion entrepreneur. I like style. Um, but, you know, I think that fashion and style have so much importance for making people feel proud of who they are and for expressing your identity and your creativity and some of the, and I really got to learn a lot about that from running gravel. Like it was really meaningful to me. Um, mm. However, my father was in fashion, uh, in fashion manufacturing. And I was the kid who always said, I'm absolutely not growing up to do anything like what my dad did. So you have to imagine <laughs> yeah. that like deep embedded in me as a desire not to be a fashion entrepreneur. And I'd ended up somehow doing this and it's scaling really quickly and being labeled as that. And I really didn't want that label. So I had a really unusual experience with, uh, with the label of entrepreneurship. And then, you know, when it failed, or actually just before, you know, a year and a half, a year and a half before it failed, the really interesting story is um, I got asked to speak at uh, Wired Retail. And I had a keynote slot in between Google and Facebook. So it was Google, Grabble, Facebook. And that was the morning. Um, that is actually like one of those things that you you really hope happens to you in your career. It's a real lovely endorsement of your approach to things. Um, and like I say, our, our thing was always mobile shopping and mobile fashion. That's why we got chosen for there because, you know, we had that's all we did. We didn't even have a website. We went on the mm. website and that, that was one of our best strategies ever because it meant we just focused. Um, but that week I found out, oh, sorry, that happened that week. And then also another thing that happened the day before was, no, sorry, the day after was uh, we won TechCrunch, TechCrunch, which is like the big tech uh, company publication. Uh, best mobile startup of 2017. So in Europe. So it was called the Europas and we beat Depop and um, Happen and like just so many amazing apps to win this award. And A, I didn't even turn up to those awards and neither did my business partner because we were so down in the dumps and didn't think there was any chance that we were going to win. And B, I had to get on stage at Wired Retail and do all this stuff. This was all at the same time as we just, the, like the week before, had to let a bunch of the team go, knew that it was failing drastically, knew that we weren't able to raise money on the basis of what we'd done and that we were going to have to start winding down the company and figuring things out. So I had to do all those things and then get up on stage and sell my company to that kind of audience in that kind of sandwich of brands. And the next night got won this award that was probably the most coveted award we wanted to win that year. Um, and like I say, neither of us turned up. We had a friend basically go because we were just sitting at home really basically depressed about our company. Why was there such a disconnect? Because that what strikes me there is that there is such a disconnect between what's happening externally versus what's happening internally. Um, I think it's just because the news cycle is is far behind, right? As in, you know, you you, so you don't get your... If you imagine Wired Retail, they ask you to speak four or five months in advance and you spend a lot of time, um, you know, setting that up. And I think, you know, the um, on the side of the TechCrunch Europas, that was all about product execution, um, popularity, voters. You know, we had very passionate uh, fans who were voting for us, etc. So, you know... I think that you see that a lot. And actually, I'm very conscious when I see people winning awards at seeing, you know, and, and even talking on stage, like the one of the things I do now, if I'm at an event with people talking on stage is actually take the time to ask them how they are and how things are going. Because I know that it's often very different um, to the time you're doing the talk to wow. the moment you're living. Wow. 
Yeah, it's crazy. And things move very, very fast in, in, in fast growth companies. Like, you know, you are encouraged to grow quickly. You're spending lots of money. And if you pick a, a strategy somewhere that goes wrong, um, all the wheels start to come off at once. And that must be hard to, yeah. How, how, I mean, do you think, again, when I was going through your timeline, I did wonder, as you've said, you know, you were actually a pretty settled time in your life when the insomnia manifested. And I, my non-clinical, I am not a doctor as everyone here knows, I'm no scientist, but I did wonder, was it some form of, was it a manifestation of PTSD perhaps? It could well have been. Um, the thing is like, I'd, I, like, I don't, I, the reason I I mean, there's two answers to this. One is that I honestly do believe it's a combination of everything, mm. um, of course. Like, I think it's really unfair and it's ultimately r reductive to say that I only cured my insomnia through changing my nutrition. Um, what I would say is I do take a very scientific approach to things. So I try things in isolation. Two weeks of this test, two weeks of that test, two weeks of this test, because that's usually long enough to start to see an improvement. Um, when you try and do everything all at once, you don't learn a lot. So you don't really figure out what it was that worked. So that, um, you know, that gives me the confidence to know that it probably was the nutrition on this basis for me. However, mm. the trigger point, um, you know, what's really interesting and I haven't shared yet, um, is so at this time I was actually doing something else and uh which a tech company now so this was like you literally using um a technology uh platform essentially and that was doing really well as in so i wasn't like in financial ruin at this point we'd actually managed at this point to maneuver the company into a much better space and go from being a consumer product to a b2b product and actually we're back in some sort of like financial control with the company so right. whilst it could have been ptsd it was more like six to nine months later um and the other thing that i learned and this is particularly interesting which if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Which is what my dietitian pointed out. 
the interesting surprise thing was I um, I'd actually moved to be on a plant based diet a year before all of this, so in 2017, um, and I felt fantastic from it. And um, the reason I did it was for environmental reasons. So you know, there's usually three reasons someone chooses to be vegan or plant based, and that is uh, environmental or animal cruelty or nutrition. So health. Um, if it is animal cruelty or environmental, there's a good chance you don't really know what impact that's going to have on your body. If it's nutrition-based, you usually come from quite an informed and sophisticated point of view. You know you need to supplement, you know what you need to supplement, et cetera. Um, actually, you know, the insomnia that hit me, I believe the trigger point, and certainly my dietitian thinks it was the trigger point, was actually just, you know, basically a 12-month lag of, uh, of, of missing micronutrients that I was used to getting my entire life from my meat-based diet. Um, and never having any more and affecting my brain. And actually makes plenty sense when you think that, you know, DHA, just as one example, there's only two ways you can get it. And that is essentially seaweed or algae and fish. And so I wasn't eating fish anymore. And I don't personally go around eating tons of seaweed. So I only go to Chinese restaurants once a while, you know. So, you know, is it actually stands to reason I was getting a deficiency. But the only thing anyone talks to you about if you choose a plant-based diet is B12. Um, right, no one ever says, it, right? Yeah, and no one exactly, and so no one says anything else. And actually, um, this is the thing that I've learned: the increase, increasing amounts of people that choose vegan, vegetarianism, or even flexitarianism. Right, so that's just like cutting way, way, um, way down on your meat and fish supply. Um, those are good ethical choices, and that's what I personally choose to do. It's just it's better to do them if you come from a place of being informed that you are going to lack micronutrients. So supplementing goes from being maybe a nice to have to a complete necessity. Mm. Um, that I hadn't appreciated. Um, I think that was like the the lag time on the mm. impact that caused the trigger, which is why, you know, I would imagine maybe even two weeks is too fast for some people for it to have the impact. But I imagine, you know, after a long time of my brain being starved of it, it made a huge impact for me quickly. What was it like? Do you remember the first the, the first morning you woke up when you were like, I actually slept really well? Yeah, it was re it was really odd just to wake up in bed next to my wife around the same time um, because uh, you know at my at my wedding um, my wedding was about a month after I cured my insomnia. Um, in the wedding speech, I made a joke. I mean, many jokes, at most at her expense, <laughs> of course. But um, I made a joke of I actually just came through the world's best mental health disease to suffer alongside my fiance because um, her personal disease is that she can sleep about 14 hours a day. So if you've got insomnia, um, there's no better disease on earth to suffer in silence with than someone who just sleeps like a log because they'll just sleep through your problem. And so what was quite funny is, you know, occasionally she'd go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and see me working in the living room. You know, that was kind of the, that was how she knew. And obviously she'd check if I'm okay, but I'm like wide awake, right? So I'm like, yes, I'm fine. And, you know, I'm stupid enough that for a long time, I thought that was a really positive thing. So for about, you know, three months, I was telling myself, this is great. Like I'm so productive. You know, most people get 10 to 12 hours of work in a day. What losers? I get like 18 to 20. I'm a genius. And were you, because if you were getting up at two, you could get to 9am and have done basically the equivalent exactly. of a full, full yeah, day. And that's, and that's what I was doing. Wow. So then that's you were just working straight through till like yeah. six. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. And, but, you know, I was still going to the gym and I was still exercising. I was looking after myself. Um, and that's why it's so surprising that, you know, the, these things, you know, I, I had very good wellness practices. 
Mm. It's just I didn't realize necessarily that my like brain wellness practices were not optimal. You know, even down to things like drinking a glass of water every hour, which is a minor thing, but that is probably three times. I mean, I don't want to give uh, exact information here because it's actually just a, a guess and ask a scientist, but it's considerably more impactful than drinking a coffee for your energy levels. Just drinking. And that's hard for me to hear. Yeah, well, I know I, I drink loads of coffee. By the way, having done this newsletter um, every week for 75 weeks, the good news is I've gotten full of facts of positive things. Like, for example, coffee is really good for your brain and really good for your brain's health. Um, and so I, it's just obviously not, as someone who had insomnia, I don't drink it after two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, you know, beyond that, it's a really good thing to uh, to have for your brain's health. In fact, one of the best you can have. So, I, yeah, I think in terms of in the uh, experts that I've ever interviewed over the years, the one piece of advice that, that well, I don't think there's any disagreement on at all, whether it's um, a dermatologist, whether it's a nutritionist or whatever it might be, every single one agrees on. Yeah, drink, drink water. And don't, yeah. not this whole six litres a day or three litres a day or any kind of quantity, just make sure you stay hydrated through the day. Yeah, exactly. And when you feel dehydrated, it's way too late for it anyway. So just like yeah. a glass every, do you know what's fun is like, this is one of the things that we designed into our product. So this bottle. I love the bottle. We have to talk about this. Thank you. I'd love to talk about the bottle actually, because it's actually <laughs> part of the process. Um, but this bottle um, is, fills 200 mils. So after you've used it as your pill bottle, it is because as you see in the shape, like it mm. is so good for like a walk or a run, like having with you as in your pocket because it just slips in there. But mm. it's deceptively large as in that is actually a glass of water's worth. So, OK, before we get into sort of uh, heights again, I do yeah. want to ask you about your sales career. Because okay. you said something to me that was, uh, you, you didn't say it to me, you've said it elsewhere, but you said something that I found really, really interesting, which is about um, you were taught how to be charming and how to psychologically get someone to a yes, Yeah, which I just thought was so, so interesting. And you were really good at that, right? Yeah. So I was, uh, my first boss um, was a nutcase worth saying. So gave me horrific anxiety and was a genuinely terrible person, which is why I won't name him, but, um, you know, phenomenal salesman. And um, right. his entire philosophy in sales, which was so at odds. So it's worth saying I graduated in the recession in 2007. And so there were no jobs. And so I just spent my whole life getting, you know, working so hard because I wouldn't say I'm naturally intelligent, but I'm I'm a hard worker. And so, you know, I'd got straight A's. I'd gone to a good university. I'd got a really good degree and then I graduated in a recession. So it was all irrelevant. I went to work in a pub and I got my first job basically by being a good, useless bartender, but good at talking. And so I sort of talked my way into an advertising job. And um, my first boss was basically the archetypal uh, slick salesman in terms of convincing people to do things by asking them lots of questions. You know, you're asking someone all the right questions a lot of the time, which makes them feel a lot more comfortable. You're getting them to say yes, lots of times in the conversation. And the more they say yes in your conversation with you, the more their brain is understanding that you're someone that they can trust and that you're someone that they say yes to. And these are very basic principles of, of selling. Um, and there's, you know, really great books on negotiation as well. One of the most famous ones in sales actually being called Getting to Yes, which is a phenomenal book and very clever. Um, 
but you know these are like you know basic psychological triggers and they're things that are useful but um you know he had no pride in whether or not we were selling a good product um right. and no pride in account management and that you know and the company was set up like that as well so the company was set up and i actually only really found that out because i'm such a it's just so important to me that there's credibility and i believe in something and so the sales and account management were so far apart from each other that you'd have no line of sight. You were just doing the sales and then you pass the account management on and the account management was awful always because the product you were selling was not of the same quality that we were told it was, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so yeah. it's only because I, I ended up having this falling out with him where he just ended up being really horrible to me because I obviously confronted him being like, you know, I don't trust the product. I don't trust what we're selling. I don't trust that I can charge this person this and they're going to get that value. That's exactly why we fell out. And then he made life very hard for me. I ended up having to get a restraining order from him is how crazy it got. Yeah, seven years, which is now over, which is no fun. Cripes. Yeah. Well, no geotagging for you. Good timing, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but also, you, but you went on to, and again, this is what I like about the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial spirit. Sorry, my Invisalign's tripping me up today. Mm. Um, and it's... And it really is that thing of pushing, pushing beyond or being within a certain space, whether it be a workspace and not being confined by it. And then you went on to another sales job where you brought in clients like Spotify, Intel and someone else. And apparently yeah, like, Amazon. Yeah. And mm. people were just sort of looking, going, well, we've never done that before. Um, and the entrepreneurial thing being you going, well, therefore, if you've not done it before, it was possible. And it was that, it's that different mindset. Would you, if you had to describe entrepreneur, how would you describe it? Um, well, my favorite joke about this, which I did in my, in my Ted talk is, is, um, George W. Bush, who says the French have no word for entrepreneur. <laughs> Obviously a fantastic quote. Um, I mean, technically speaking, an entrepreneur is someone who, uh, builds value out of nothing. Mm -hmm. So in many senses, you know, entrepreneurs are, and this is the thing that does wind me up about entrepreneurship in, in a sense as well. It, it is traditionally defined as a business, of course, but, you know, I've got friends who are actors whose lifestyle is entirely entrepreneurial. Um, there's not much difference between them and me. Certainly right. my friends who are screenwriters, you know, you are getting yourself, you are, you are literally 100% of your own business, freelancers the same. So I think, you know, it's important that being entrepreneurial is is really like, in my in my view anyway, um, very akin to being creative. And mm -hmm. I would certainly consider myself and definitely my colleagues would, would consider me uh, a creative more than an entrepreneur in that sense, because I'm not I'm not very money motivated. I don't really think about things from a business point of view. I think about things from a creative point of view. So how is this going to make someone feel? Um, how does it look? What's the response people are going to say when they uh, co like come into contact with it? Um, how are they going to tell people? Uh, and how are they going to communicate your vision? Like these are creative concerns more mm -hmm. so than how much are people going to spend and how much is our revenue? They're just not things that are particularly fascinating to me i'm not geared that way um and actually you know fun enough you did a favorite quote earlier and i think my favorite quote on mindset in general is from is a classic from henry ford which is whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right yes and it's, it's the most poignant one. it's the most poignant quote you can possibly imagine when it comes to mindset 
confidence and belief. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the best experiences I'd ever say about being an entrepreneur, um, you know, I suffer from uh, lacks of confidence as much as anyone else. And I like to tell people that because a lot of people think I'm the most confident person that they've ever met. And I'm very vocal inside my company that I'm not confident and that I, you know, not as confident as I come across and I'm full of self-doubt all the time. Doing sales is a phenomenal way of, um, of, of building resilience and realizing that the person hasn't said no because they hate you and they haven't said no because of X, Y, Z. You hear no so many times in sales um, that you realize the best salespeople are not the ones who, are, who have the best product or are able to convince people by saying yes. They're just generally the people who have a process. They go through the process. They're planned, like anyone really that's successful in life. They're planned. They work bloody hard. They do the numbers. They know that they need to call 100 people to get to one yes. And so if they need their 10 yeses that month, they need 1,000 people, which means they need to write down a list of 1,000 people. That's mm. ultimately how the best salesmen work. And that's really great training if you're an entrepreneur, because if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for funding or, you know, imagine I was a guy with a newsletter um, trying to find scientific advisors to launch a product in the consumer brain health space with credible references and careers and I was obviously going after some of the very best and they'd mm. never heard of me because I wasn't in that world so you know you have to be willing to not only craft a good story but be able to listen to what the reasons are why people are saying no and build on that and improve your pitch every time and still you know come at it every single day with the same sense of enthusiasm that the world isn't saying no you just haven't met the right yes yet and that's the same for every single entrepreneur. And that's why I think sales is an amazing opportunity for that because everyone selling a product has something relevant for a buyer. That's mm -hmm. a fact of economics. You just haven't met the right buyer yet. So if you give up too early or your process is flawed, you won't find the right people. And it's kind of the same thing with entrepreneurship. You know, you, you have to really have the patience and like ultimately the, um, the, the self-belief that, you know, what you're doing is worthwhile. Um, through the process of getting all the no's, if you're not learning from that, you will fail. But if you're crafting what you're doing better every time because you're asking people for feedback, it will improve to a point where someone says yes. That's really interesting. And it brings me on to actually about your podcast, because you have a secret leaders podcast, very successful number one business podcast in the UK. And I wonder, I, like you, um, I'm sending out requests for people to be a guest on my show all the time. And I wonder how you go about doing that for your podcast. And do you say, if you don't hear back from somebody or if they say no, do you say, could you tell me why? Is it because my numbers aren't high enough? Is it because my demographic's incorrect? Do you go into that? That's a very good question. I don't think I'm a good person to copy when it comes to podcasts for <laughs> one particular reason, which is um, like my podcast I've set up completely as nonprofit side hustle. Um, and that's psychologically intended as well, because I want my entire focus to be heights. And so with secret leaders, um, it is something that I really enjoy doing and I really love interviewing people and getting to know them this way. I think it's so phenomenal for myself in general. Like I do it because I enjoy it so much. Um, but I'm not 
amazing at uh, really nagging people to do. I'm very, very good at nagging people to do things I'm desperate for in heights. But with Secret Leaders, I wouldn't say I'm amazing at spending all the time and effort on it because I'm very, I've made a conscious decision in my mind that it has to be treated as a side project. Mm -hmm. And I'm very conscious that I only do interviews after work or on weekends um, or before work. It needs to be an exceptional guest, like with a time zone difference, for example, for me mm -hmm. to decide that I'm breaking that rule. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because I also, you know, have a lot of respect for my business partner, Joel, and, you know, my colleagues, but, you know, I don't want to be seen to be doing something that's, uh, you know, of secondary importance, like in my prime working hours. Um, having said all that, the, um, the, the truth of the matter is like, again, I think a lot of things, things come from strategy. So with secret leaders, my strategy was really simple, which is we want to interview the very best guests in the world what is the experience they're most likely to do? They're most likely to look at the other guests you've had on the show. So there's two things. One is obviously customers and consumers saying what you do is great and leaving great reviews and really finding the guests interesting. And there's always the surprising person you've never heard of that has a great story that helps someone. Um, but then the other is, you know, they might look at the companies that they founded in, in the case of mine being an entrepreneur podcast and be like, oh yeah, if you've had them, then I'll come on. So Again, I'm lucky because with my last company, Grabble, you know, I had some of the top investors in the UK as my investors, like entrepreneurs of businesses, you know, Moonpig and Photobox. And like, you know, these guys were like my friends. So I went to them first and I was like, will you be on this show first? Mm -hmm. um, then I was able to always say, and now we've got these people and these people. And then last series, we had the founders of Slack and Deliveroo both come to us. Um, you know, that's like they both listened to the show. And they asked if they could be on it. And you're like, yes, 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 yes. hundred <laughs> um, percent. Because, you know, obviously that is phenomenal. And so now uh, we're in a nice a nice situation where, it, you know, it's a four, a four year overnight success, right? So it became, <laughs> became the number one business podcast uh, last series overtaking Tim Ferriss, which is obviously, we're super <laughs> proud of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. So proud of that. Um, but I think it came from strategy, which is we only do 15 episodes a series. And then we're really specific about who those 15 are. We also have gender balance, really key. And that's been extremely hard for us. So for starters, me and Rich, my producer, are two blokes. Women only really like to do things with other women, like generally. And that's understandable because it obviously helps each other. Mm -hmm. um, so they're more prone to saying no. There's less female entrepreneurs in the first place. Um, female entrepreneurs, and I can tell you from absolute experience say no way more than the male ones do and so actually the experience i've had of, of keeping the gender balance most of the female guests i get on any series i are the ones i've been nagging so the only ones that i do genuinely nag are the female entrepreneurs and they usually take more than a season to convince so it's wow. like will you be on series three and they're like no and then i do enough nagging that by series four or five they come on <laughs> genuinely how, how does one nag and I'll tell you why uh, I asked this question, because hmm. when I used to pitch stories for magazines, I would um, I would go into a big, long, like, this is this, this is the other. And a friend said to me once, just send an email to the commissioning editor and say, would you be interested in a feature about toxic friends, for example, the end, and then see what happens. And don't write the big, long email and basically half write the feature. So is nagging for you just short or is it somewhat involved is it a sales pitch it's a great question and actually because this is something i learned in, in in a tech process you know i use some software that because it's really embarrassing to nag right like really embarrassing to like consciously nag someone is super awkward 
And so I actually use some software where I write the email and I write five follow-up emails nagging and I space them all out two or three weeks from each other um, if they don't respond. And that's basically it. Is that Mail Butler? No, it's called um, Mail, uh, Mixed Mail. Mixed Mail. And, 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 and the truth is, it's quite expensive, but ultimately it's kind of worth it because mm. um, I know that if it was left to me, I wouldn't do it. You know, mm. I, I, I'm as embarrassed as anyone else to keep nagging people. But if it's software automatically going and doing it, then why not? It's at, at arm's length. Yeah, I know exactly. I'm looking at the clock and so I know I've got to let you go very soon. So I do want to end on heights, if that's all right, because... As, um, as I said at the top of the show, and as people who follow me on my social know, I've been taking Heights since you very kindly sent me a bottle to try. There is so much to unpack about what is new and different. You've talked about the bottle and you really have. It's like you've reinvented the multivitamin from the ground up. It's like you threw away, uh, listeners to this podcast, you have a beauty interest will know like with Dyson, they threw away everything they knew about the hairdryer and built it as if they'd never seen a hairdryer before to create what they created. And it feels like you've done something very similar with a supplement for brain health. Yeah, so I guess, you know, to this point, one of the one of the very obvious things that all the supplement industry seems to do is they put in caking agents and synthetic fillers in their products. They um, aren't vegan or plant-based, like so many of them. And even if the ingredients are, the capsules aren't. Um, one of the really key insights that we got was the most common way that someone will forget to take a supplement or will grow out of it is is they stop taking it. And that is partly because uh, people take supplements with food. And the reason why people take supplements with food they think is because they're going to get sick. But in reality, it's because if it's not dissolved with fat, essentially, it won't reach your bloodstream. And so when you, you're just having a more expensive wee every time. So <laughs> the reality is we work really hard on creating this capsule inside an omega-3 capsule that's slow release. Okay. And so... Yeah, it looks really cool, and but there's a practical side to it, which is we can encourage our customers to take it first thing in the morning, so before they leave their house. Um, the reason you can it doesn't have to be taken with food, and the reason for that is because it dissolves in the in the omega threes, which are fat, and so the moment you take it, it slow releases into your gut, releases into your bloodstream. It means that you can build a habit and stop forgetting to take it. But like to the bottle, to the point of the bottle. One of the things we did, like I said, we spent so much time researching habits and behaviors of what people do. What most people do is they have either a supplement cupboard or they keep the supplements at work in a drawer. And so out of sight, out of mind, when those things happen, you forget to take them. And so our product is really beautifully designed on purpose for predominantly women between 25 and 45 or 50, you know, in that like age bracket, it's like the core target. Men as well, but like the reason for the aesthetic approach is because when we were interviewing women, we were asking where they keep their supplements and how they do it. And bottles all look the same. They're ugly. And women don't really like ugly things out in public places. Mm -hmm. And you're asking them to try and remember to take something every day before they leave the house, which means that in theory, you're kind of asking them to put it on their sink, on their bedside table or in the living room, like predominantly on a table. So that's why we got into this idea and this notion of creating a bottle that looked nothing like anything else in the industry so that women would actually be comfortable having it in their homes around their families. And that was the customer research we did literally with uh, consumers of supplements who said that they kept them in drawers and asked them what they would and wouldn't. So like the bottle design 
was a customer feedback process. We didn't just design it ourselves. We worked with an agency called Pentagram and people that were reading our newsletter and engaging with us who were saying, no, yes, oh, that's beautiful. And we got to this design. Um, basically, most people said, yes, they'd be very comfortable keeping that on their bedside table or out in the living room. So like, right, that's the design we're going for. And the other important thing is it fits you know, it's 60 pills, so it's two a day, and it fits through your letterbox. So if you put 60 pills in a normal bottle, it won't fit through your letterbox. You'll get a red slip. This one's more for men because men are really lazy. They're not going to go get that red slip. So this is actually fits through the letterbox. And then and I think the last bit that we're really proud of is we did like a massive sustainability project on mm -hmm. the product as well. So the outer box that the shipper essentially gets sent in is a 100% biodegradable sugarcane starch. Um, so you can literally put it in compost. Um, the bottle itself is recyclable plastic and it's, it's plastic for the basis that glass was actually heavier in the supply chain. So when you actually, the way you really measure impact on the environment is um, basically uh, CO2 emissions in right. like from, from packaging it to arriving at a customer and glass created more CO2 emissions than plastic. And so actually, if you do a proper sustainability report, plastic is more environmentally friendly as long as it's not virgin. And the fun fact I like to tell people is from creating, um, from creating heights to it reaching through your letterbox is the equivalent in CO2 emissions of watching three minutes of Netflix. <laughs> And I think it's a really fun way to explain this to people because people are very interested and engaged in the sustainability conversation. But in general, you know, not many people have to go through a process like I do in terms of really understanding the details of sustainability. And when you get down into the nuts and bolts of sustainability, you learn things like watching TV creates CO2 emissions, watching Netflix creates huge amounts of CO2 emissions. And it's not that we should stop doing these things. It's just that the next time... Um, you're considering whether something has an impact or not. You have to just appreciate everything that we do as humans has an impact, everything. Um, relaying this story in a really relatable way, like three minutes of Netflix, I think is a really helpful thing to do. I love um, how your mind works. <laughs> and, there's, and there's also a really interesting thing, which is so stupid, but in Holland and Barrett and Boots, almost all of their products, all of their bottles um, are non-recyclable. Um, and then non-recyclable plastic for one stupid reason, which is their security tags on there, um, basically mean that they end up in landfill. So one of the really interesting conversations in general around plastic isn't really should we or shouldn't we use plastic? Like, shouldn't you single-use plastic wherever we can? Plastic is an amazing material um, because it can be remolded, reused in many, many different ways. Um, but it's, is it going to go in landfill or can we reuse it? Those are really important conversations to have. And, you know, there's some really short-sighted attitudes that have gone on in big retailers. So when you buy your supplements in somewhere like Holland and Barrett, I mean, I'm just sing signaling them out because it's obvious. I mean, loads of them on Amazon. You're buying non-recyclable plastic bottles as well, which is also, you know, another reason why we've put so much conscious thought and energy and design from the ground up. Like you say, if you have the opportunity to reinvent the vacuum cleaner, you don't do it the same way. You really rethink it. And okay, let, it's 30 pounds a month, 60 tablets, 30 pounds a month. Right? <coughs> it's, a it's actually, it's from 30 pounds a month. So okay. we have an annual, the annual subscription is 30 pound a month and mm -hmm. the monthly is 40. And to give you, and to give you actually, it's a really good point. Um, the equivalent cost somewhere like Planet Organic, so microgram per microgram, is roughly 120 pounds is what it would cost you to get that in Planet Organic. And my That's favorite customer- I'm curious about. 
My favorite customer story is um, our, our number one customer is the founder of Planet Organic, Renee. And mm -hmm. she uh, she has five height subscriptions. She has one for herself, her husband, and her three kids. Um, my favorite customer story is I went to meet her and I spent that money in Planet Organic and I brought her the receipt and the supplements and a bottle of Heights. And I said, this is how many pills I have to take from Planet Organic and the cost compared to literally the same as two pills in Heights. And this is the same outcome and impact. Would you be willing to try our product? And she said, yes. And I just thought it was really interesting because if you can convince someone who gets free supplements mm. from her own company, as many as she wants, and she's our number one customer. Um, and, 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 you know, you mentioned something earlier, the main reason we're able to keep the cost down so much is because we don't sell it in retail, retail take 50%. So if we, if this sold then Planet Organic, we'd have to sell it at 80 because that would be what Planet Organic would have to sell it for. It's such, yeah, it does. It's such an interesting story and it's such an interesting supplement. So I can't wait to, how long should you wait before you see feel results? Yeah, and that's a great question. And I think like every annoying answer, it really does depend on where you started from and your baseline. So obviously another really popular uh, customer story is Stephen Fry. So Stephen Fry uh, tried the product and within one month had had such an impact and benefit from it that he was effusive by about how excited he was. So um and it's if you really... wanted to be effusive, you wanted to be Stephen Fry. I know, right? Because he's so verbose. It's fantastic. He actually, so he got sent the product by, so one of our customers was the founder of WeTransfer. And he then became an investor. And he was like, I know Stephen Fry. And I think he'd like this product. Can I send him a bottle? I'm like, yeah, obviously send Stephen Fry a bottle. That's phenomenal. He's like, the, like was actually on our list of number one. You know, there's a bunch of people. He was one of them. So I was like, yes, please. Just no idea how to get to him. Um, in the end, he uh, he was a customer. I mentioned a few uh, customers had our product before we went live. He was one of them, and he ended up his month uh, his first month basically ended the day before we went live to the public. And so he went on to buy the product and couldn't. Um, I ended up getting his my email from Damien, like our mutual contact, and emailed me. And I was with my mum having lunch, and I got this email from Stephen Fry with him apologizing for invading my inbox, but. You know, I can't, he said, I can't get, I can't order your magic beans, um, which are so phenomenal. And basically wrote this amazing review. And I was like, I'll give you a code so you can order them a day early, but can I publish your review? And he was like, a hundred percent. Of course you can. How amazing is that? That is just incredible. And I never would have had the hubris to email Stephen Fry, you know, like emailing your customer list. If it's people like him, you don't do it because it's really tacky. Um, and so he broke the seal on that. And so, you know, it's worth saying that's, you know, we're starting a series um, of talks as of this week. I'm not sure when this one comes out, but, you know, as of this week, we're <laughs> launching listeners. Pardon? The link will be in the show notes, listeners. Great. So, yeah, the, the link is yourheights.com forward slash working in. And our concept is, you know, you work out at home for your body. So this you work in for your brain. And so we've got all these work-ins, which are essentially 45-minute sessions every Thursday night with a different expert. And our one next week is with Stephen Fry. Um, and it's 6.30 to 7.15, 15 minutes for Q&A, and then just enough time to have some dinner and clap the NHS. Um, but we've got like some of the world-leading neuroscientists from Stanford University, UCL, MIT, all over, including people like Stephen Fry and Jay Shetty and Mo Gordat. Um, so like really phenomenal people who are customers essentially of the product. So we're, like I said, we're very lucky. We've got amazing customers who believe in it and therefore want to contribute to the story and, and help us grow. 
Well, there's luck and there's also keeping good customers because you have a great product. There's that as well. Uh, yeah, spending the time on developing a great product and being really specific. And I think that's why people believe in it is because it's high quality. Also, we, we talked very, we covered earlier about uh, the identity being a fashion entrepreneur and not really being comfortable with that title. And my brother always says to me, if I'm thinking about coming, um, speaking to a guest or something, if I'm a bit iffy, he says, if it's incongruent, move away from it. If it's not true to you, move away from it because you'll know when it's the right thing. Do you now feel doing what you're doing now? Do you feel like you're in the groove that you should have always been oh, in? 100%. There's a Japanese term called ikigai. And um, it's basically like this giant Venn diagram of like what you're good at, what you enjoy, what makes other people happy, what makes you money, what contributes to the environment and society. It's like all these things. And I feel like I found that thing because I wake up every single day, you know, so passionate to to share our story, to talk to customers, to create content, to write the newsletter. Like everything I'm doing is is like one constant stream of flow because it's so enjoyable. Oh, you're um, We're back to wrong and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I just I feel like um, I'm at that. I'm I'm at that moment now and right at the start of the journey, which I think this is the other thing as well. You know, as an entrepreneur, you need stamina, um, not a marathon. No, sorry, it's a marathon, not a sprint, you know, that kind of vibe. Um, you know, it does help to really deeply passionately care about what you're doing in order to really feel like you can stay the course. And with this, I really feel like the fact that we're in our first four months of sales, you know, I can't wait for the next 10 years. It's super exciting to me. It's so wonderful to hear. And I really appreciate your generosity and talking about your story. And I could genuinely talk to you very easily for another few hours and unpick even more tales, but perhaps you can come another back. Time. Yeah. yeah. Time. So I will finish the call now just by saying thank you very much. And also listeners, the links to everything that we have discussed, your social media, as well as to Heights, the work in the newsletter, all of those will be in the show notes. But Dan, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks, Emma. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you have any questions or you just want to get in touch with me, please do email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you and I do get back to everybody personally. If you would rather maybe DM me something a little less formal than an email, you can slide into my DMs on Instagram and Twitter where I'm at Emma Guns. Or if you want to chat to me and thousands of other listeners of this podcast, then join the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes. All you have to do is answer a couple of questions, agree to the forum rules, and you will be welcomed with open arms by your fellow most excellent listeners. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.